electronic gear. <laughs> Must be the animal magnetism or something. <laughs> Let's pray. We thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, that you have revealed your glory to us through your incarnate Son, Jesus. Thank you that he has joined us with himself and with all the angels so that together with him and the angels we may give glory to you in your presence. Give us your Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I bring you greetings from my wife Claire, uh, whom I spoke to uh, earlier this morning. As you heard, her mother uh, died overnight. Um, she got back in time, and uh, this is a long story, but uh, she died a very peaceful death. Both Claire and her sister were with her as she died. Uh, it was, according to the uh, nursing staff there, it was the most peaceful death they've seen for a long time. Uh, so we rejoice. Um, she's 100 years old. She was eager to die. Um, so I rejoice, and I ask you to rejoice with me for that. Um, some Jewish writers in the first few centuries of the church um, were scandalized because of some practices in the early church. Um, one of the commonest titles for Christians was, or the second commonest title for Christians was Saint, Holy One. Now why were Jewish believers so scandalized when Christians called each other saints? Well for them that was reserved only for God and the angels. Here there were this riffraff uh, from all classes of society and basically the other side of society who imagined that they were angels or in the company of angels. Now, uh, I want to do a study this morning on uh, the gospel for the day. I had thought of preaching on it, but I think it's better to do in a Bible study, particularly for what I want to do with it. Um, I don't know whether you've noticed how frequently in the divine service we give glory to God. We give glory to God. For most people, that's one of those fossilized remnants that come from ancient times um, and that uh, uh, they see is there and you do it because it's there but uh, most people have little or no comprehension of what we do when we say glory to the Father and the Son or glory to God in the highest or glory to you O Lord. That is one of the most amazing parts of the divine service. <coughs> Let's have a, uh, a look again at the gospel for today. Um, I've given you uh, another translation than uh, the one you heard uh, uh, because uh, to make uh, one particular point. Okay, on the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along, along between Samaria and Galilee. Now Galilee was up in the north, 
uh, Judea was down the south, and between that was Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lift up, uh, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Curie eleison. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell, at the, uh, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has saved you. Now did you see there the, 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 the two uh, expressions that I've got underlined? He felt glorifying God, giving glory to God. Now that's going to be the focus of the study this morning. Uh, just a bit of explanation, uh, background to make full sense of this amazing, lovely little story. Um, it's the second story in Luke's Gospel about the healing of a leper. Uh, so there's two uh, stories where, uh, which tell us how Jesus healed a leper. The first leper is a Jewish leper. This is a Samaritan leper. Now notice the repetitions here. Um, the, one of the most significant is the verb see. Uh, Jesus sees the lepers. Notice, Jesus sees them. And then uh, secondly, uh, then uh, the man who'd been healed, the Samaritan, sees that he's been healed and he comes to Jesus and he sees Jesus. Seeing, very significant here. Uh, you have the voice of the lepers and then you have the voice of the healed man. You have uh, emphasis on the lepers being cleansed twice, just to make sure we get it. Um, uh, Jesus says uh, 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 that the, all of the lepers are to go to the priests and then he says to the uh, Samaritan who's healed, not go to the priest down in Jerusalem, but he says go home, go your way. Um, your faith has saved you. And lastly, and most significantly, you get the reference to doxology. Doxology is glorifying God, giving God glory. It's a particular form of praise that I want to focus on this morning. Now what's significant in this story is the location of the healing uh, of uh, these lepers. Jesus is on a pilgrimage from Galilee up in the north, a long journey, down to Jerusalem for the great feast of the Passover. There's a large slab in Luke's Gospel which locates material on that journey from Galilee, which is called Galilee of the Gentiles, sort of outside, up to Jerusalem, the temple, the place where God is present. Okay, that's the big context. He's about to enter a village. He's on the outskirts of the village. Uh, and he's on the boundary between Samaria and Galilee. So Samaria in the middle, 
Galilee up in the north. So he's between two uh, significant places. And it's there that he, outside the village, that he encounters this little company of lepers. Now why are they outside the village? They've been kicked out. They are not allowed in the village. And so you have the village community, that's the one community, and then you have this little band of lepers. And it's interesting, uh, when you come to misery and trouble, um, the, the difference between Jew and Samaritan is erased. Um, they form band together because they can't touch uh, another person. If they see somebody coming, they've got to cover their face and cry, unclean, unclean, so that people won't get come close to them and be infected with the leprosy that they're suffering from. Um, now, the status of lepers in the ancient world and in many parts of the world to the present day uh, is terrible. They are regarded as the living dead. Um, so, in all practical purposes, they are as good as dead in practical terms. They're outcasts, um, uh, they're social outcasts, but worst of all, they are religious outcasts. Um, according to the God's law in the Old Testament, no leper can come into the temple and meet with God there. Uh, the leper's unclean, and until a leper's cleaned, he has no access to God. So, shut out from human contact, shut out from God. Uh, they are as far from God as you could possibly be here on earth. If you like, it's a kind of a, a living hell. Uh, they are the living dead. They're disqualified from participation in the divine service at the temple in Jerusalem. Likewise, they were excluded from all the synagogues that are far from God. Um, notice the, uh, that this, uh, uh, these lepers use an interesting title. They say, Jesus Master. It's a title uh, which was used in the Greek or Roman world for a person of high rank. Um, uh, we'd say sir or something like that. Um, Normally, it's used by disciples, the disciples of Jesus, for Jesus as an honoured teacher. This is the only occasion where you get people uh, who are not disciples addressing Jesus with this title. Um, now, this, uh, I've always hammered into uh, uh, the, uh, my students that one of the most important principles that they need to follow when they read and study and meditate on the Bible is to look for unexpected things. This is one of the unexpected things in the story. There's lots of unexpected things. Um, now, um, what they do is they stand at a distance and they say, Lord, have mercy on us. Now, uh, um, I know we say that in the church, but uh, uh, for all practical purposes, we don't hear that cry anymore in North America and Australia. But if you went to India, and as happened to me some years ago when I was in Malaysia, you would hear this cry often. Um, I still remember occasion when I was walking down the streets of Kuala Lumpur and um, there was a woman who came and fell down before me, grabbed my shoes, kissed my shoes and said um, uh, in Bahasa, Indonesia, the equivalent of 
Lord, sir, uh, have mercy. Now that's a beggar's cry. Huh? Now get that picture? It's the, it's the cry of a person who's a beggar. A beggar who has no right to claim anything, but claims uh, mercy from uh, a, a person who has something. They have nothing. They ask for a special favour from a person who has something that they want. A beggar's cry. So when we go to church and we say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, what's the picture? Before God, what are we? Beggars. We've got nothing to give, em everything to receive. We come with empty hands to receive what's given to us. And they have no claim on Jesus. Um, they come begging for mercy. So it's a, a plea for charity rather than a plea for help. Now, Jesus tells them to go and show themselves to the priests. Um, there's two occasions when lepers were uh, required to go to the priests. First of all, if they had some skin disease that was getting out of control, uh, that wasn't just your normi normal uh, skin problem, they would go, they'd have to go to the priests wherever they were so they could diagnose uh, whether it was an uh, ordinary skin disease or whether it was leprosy. Okay? So the priests were expert uh, 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 in diagnosing the sickness. And if you read the Old Testament, you can get a detailed description there of uh, the basic principles of diagnosis. Then uh, that's in Leviticus chapter 13. And then after they'd been cleansed, they were required to go to the uh, priest so that the priest could give them the once over, see whether they uh, were completely cured of leprosy, and if they were cured of leprosy, they were readmitted back into the congregation. So just imagine somebody being excommunicated and then being readmitted to Holy Communion. That's the closest we get to this now. Now it's for that second purpose that the lepers are to go to the priest. Jesus heals them so that they can once again participate in what? In the divine service, in worship. In our terms, so that they can come to Holy Communion once again. Um, now, um, next point. This is the only occasion in Luke's Gospel where um, someone gives thanks to Jesus. Normally, who do people give thanks to? God the Father. But on this occasion, this man gives thanks to Jesus and by doing this, he acknowledges what about Jesus? He's the Son of God. Um, uh, that he says thank you to Jesus. It's a normal thing that you give thanks to God because he's the source of healing. Now he gives thanks to Jesus. Um, you all know something about the Samaritans. Um, they were shunned by your Orthodox Jews. Um, for a number of reasons, but basically they were a schismatic community that had gone back to the first uh, uh, captivity when the Syrians came, they carted off the ruling classes, uh, left behind the lower classes, and they brought uh, pagan people from other parts of the empire and lumped them together, and out of that you get this mix of Jews and pagan people living in this area. Um, so they were regarded as unclean people um, uh, from their intermarriage with unbelievers, pagans. And what's more, uh, they 
their temple, their place of worship wasn't Jerusalem, but was in Shechem, the place where Abraham built the first altar when he came to the Promised Land. That was their holy uh, place. Um, yeah, um, lastly, just in terms of background, uh, notice the double sense of your faith has saved you. Um, the Greek word there means your faith has healed you, but it can also mean your faith has saved you. In this story, there are ten who are saved, and yet there's only one who's saved. Get it? There's ten who are healed, but there's only one who is saved. Um, and that's the Samaritan. Um, this, uh, uh, and notice the wonderful commendation of Jesus, of this uh, leper who comes back, gives thanks and glorifies God. He says, um, rise and go, your faith has saved you. There's uh, uh, three other occasions when Jesus says these words to somebody. Um, it's very important, a commendation. Because of their faith in Jesus and his word, uh, they receive salvation. Uh, first of all, in Luke, it's, uh, Jesus says this to the guilty woman, the woman who's a sinner and comes and, and, and washes the feet of Jesus and puts very expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And uh, people get all in a tiz because they say, if this woman, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, uh, he'd kick her out of the house. And he says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Then secondly, another woman who's unclean because she has uncontrolled menstrual bleeding. It's not just irregular menstrual bleeding, but uh, is bleeding all the time. And it's been going on for year after year after year. And because of her menstrual bleeding, she's disqualified from participation in the divine service. Well, she comes up because she's so ashamed of herself. Uh, uh, nobody can touch her without coming, becoming unclean. She can't touch anybody without becoming unclean. So she creeps up behind Jesus so that she won't be noticed. Doesn't touch Jesus, but touches the uh, part of his robe. And Jesus uh, feels the power go out of her, and he says, who touched me? And she thinks that Jesus is going to tear strips off her, but Jesus wants to commend her and says, daughter, she probably hasn't heard that for years, your faith has saved you. <coughs> Lastly, Jesus says this to blind Bartimaeus at the end of his journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Um, your faith has saved you. Now why is it that Luke emphasizes, and this is what I want to focus on for the rest of the time, and there'll be room for questions and, 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 and a uh, bit of discussion. Why does Luke emphasize that this healed Samaritan beggar glorified God? Glorified God. Now here I want to give you uh, uh, a little bit of biblical background uh, to make sense of this. God's glory is the radiance of his presence. Okay, uh, it's the radiance of his presence when he appears to his people. So, uh, if God showed himself here, he is here, 
Uh, but if he showed his presence visibly, uh, that would be his glory. So it's the radiance, the revealed radiance of his presence with his people. Do you remember the story of the uh, deliverance from Egypt? Uh, the glory cloud, uh, which both concealed God's presence and revealed God's presence, began to appear at a very interesting point. Do you remember where the glory cloud first appeared? It was the a moment they left Egypt, then all of a sudden the glory cloud went in front of them. The, the cloud which shone during the night and was like a pillar of smoke during the day. It went out before them, it led them to the Red Sea, it went in front of them into the waters of the Red Sea and opened up the way through the sea. And then once the Israelites were all there, then it went behind them and that same glory cloud gave them light but brought darkness on the Egyptians who were following them and destroyed the Egyptians. So it was light for God's people, darkness to those who were the enemies of God. That glory cloud then led them to Mount Sinai and then uh, God appeared in glory on top of Mount Sinai, remember? And then after that, the glory cloud went from the mountain and entered the tabernacle when it was built. And that's where it stayed and whenever God wanted his people to move on, the glory cloud would move on and uh, where that cloud stopped, that's where they would pitch the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the shrine, um, and that's where they'd stay as long as the cloud stayed there. And it brought them then from Egypt to the promised land. And eventually God's glory appeared once again, after, then it disappeared, but then it reappeared when Solomon dedicated the temple. Remember, the glory of God revealed, this time in fire, uh, on the altar. Actually, to go one step further, the uh, go back, the glory cloud went from the mountain to the altar of the tabernacle. Um, it went to the tabernacle and it appeared as fire and smoke from the altar for burnt offering. So what's God's glory? Um, it is the presence of God with his people um, uh, that's manifested in some way. It both reveals God and it conceals God. You get the basic picture? It shows God's present. Um, so the temple was the place for God's hidden glory to the Israelites here on earth. But following it through, where was God's glory visibly present and fully present? It was present in a hidden way here on earth but it was openly present, visibly present in heaven. And who are the people who see God's glory fully? The angels. They are in the presence of God. They see the glory of God. They see the face of God. They see God face to face. Um, now, uh, doxology is... Uh, 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 to acknowledge God's presence by saying glory. Okay, God's glory is there and you say glory to God or glory to you, O God. Right? Meaning when you say give glory, you say God's here. He's here with us and we can see that God's here with us and uh, we 
acclaim God. We acknowledge that God is here with us. Do you get the basic thing? Um, now, the teaching on doxology in the Old Testament, um, just listen to uh, part of Psalm 29. Um, Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, that's you angels, you mighty angels, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic, and it goes on. God's glory is revealed here on earth by his voice, through his word. And then the psalm ends. And in his temple, that's the heavenly temple, all the angels cry, glory. Okay, um, doxology is performed by the angels who say, glory to God. They say, glory to you, O God. So it can be addressed to God or they can say it to each other. Now, um, the prophet Isaiah says that at the time when the Messiah comes, uh, the glory of the Lord will be revealed where? Here on earth. God's glory would be revealed here on earth. So in Isaiah chapter 40, um, the prophet says, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. They will see God. Not up in heaven, but here on earth. All flesh, all human beings will see God and they will give glory to God. Um, that's the prophecy. Um, so, uh, to I don't know if you know the word theophany. Um, theophany, fanny, has to do with appearance. Theo has to do with God. So uh, uh, the, uh, the theophany is the appearance of God in his glory with his people. That's the promise uh, uh, from the Old Testament. And Psalm 96 and other places say that on the day when, uh, when this happens, when the Messiah comes and the new age begins, it won't just be the angels who perform doxology up in heaven and God's people who perform doxology here on earth but all flesh which means that all the nations non-Jews will join together with the angels in giving glory to God where? here on earth because when the Messiah comes heaven will come down where? to us and so Instead of two choirs, the heavenly choir and the earthly choir being separated from each other, they form one single choir. So when you went to church this morning, you were singing together with who? The angels, and the angels were singing there with you. Um, the choir, as it were, represented the angels from up the top of the church. Um, so this has fulfilled these promises of the Old Testament of... Uh, the appearance of God in his glory here on earth uh, is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. Um, just listen to the opening verses of, uh, part of the opening verses of John's Gospel. John says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled 
among us, and we have beheld his glory, the glory of the own, as of the one and only Son of God. So Jesus, in his human body, reveals God and his glory here on earth. Um, we have beheld, who's the we? Not just the people who lived then, not just the apostles, but all of us. We have beheld and we are beholding. We have seen the church, this is the we of the church, and we are seeing the glory of God. And because we see the glory of God, we do doxology. We say glory to God. Um, uh, we, 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 if you like, respond to being in God's presence by joining with the angels and saying glory to God. Get the basic picture? Now, what's interesting in Luke's Gospel is that there are ten, and this is unique to Luke. Um, so, uh, uh, part of uh, you know, Bible study and training of students at the seminary is to see, not only to study all the Gospels, but to see what is unique about each one of the Gospels. Now, this year is the year of Luke, as you noticed if you go to church. We, all the Gospel readings are from Luke. Now, in Luke, there are ten reports of ten occasions in which people do doxology. They say, glory. Now, I'll go through it very quickly and see what sense you can make of this list. Notice where it starts and where it ends. Ten. Why ten? It's a, a mnemonic device. Say, okay, God's, and this is teaching about doxology glory, okay? One, two, three, four, five, and then six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mnemonic device. The first story, and this is very important, and you know it well, happens at Christmas. Who sings glory to God in the highest? The angels, but for the first time, where do they sing it? Here on earth, and why do they sing it here on earth? Christ is born. Remember, the glory of the Lord appeared um, to the shepherds uh, and uh, the angel then uh, 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 appeared to them and uh, the angel sang, Glory to God. How does it go? In the highest in, and peace on earth and goodwill to men or with the people whom he's pleased. Um, so the angels invite the shepherds these people who are outside the normal community to join with them in praising uh, the revelation of God's glory where? Where was God's glory revealed here on earth? Not in the temple, but in the manger, in the stable, in the flesh and blood of a little baby. This is theophany. This is God showing himself in human form to human beings. Now, that's the first time you get doxology being done here on earth. And the angels invite the shepherds. Um, now, if, 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 you'd, if you'd ask the Jewish rabbis, who would they expect be the first ones to join the angels in doing doxology? Who would they have said? The priests. And of which priests? The high priest. Okay. Secondly, 
And in close connection with this story, the, shep the, the angels invite the shepherds to join with them, and then after they've seen the, the baby Jesus, uh, they give glory to God because they have seen God in human form. Uh, they give glory for what they have seen and what they have heard. Now notice that there's those two things, seeing and hearing, leading to giving glory. The next occasion is very interesting. Jesus, after his baptism, begins to teach God's word uh, in the synagogues of uh, Israel. And what's the reaction of the people when they hear the teaching of God's word by Jesus is to not to glorify God, but to glorify Jesus. Now, does that shift? Instead of saying glory to God, they say glory to you, Jesus. Why? Because God's glory is revealed not just in the body of Jesus, but God's glory is revealed not to the eyes, but to the ears, through the word that Jesus preaches. Uh, by listening to his word, they see God in Jesus. They see that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, the next occasion is uh, uh, at uh, the time when uh, a lamed paralytic, a, a paralytic man was brought to Jesus on a stretcher. Remember the story? They dug a hole in the roof and dumped him at the feet of Jesus. Um, they want Jesus to heal him. Jesus heals him in an unexpected way, and he's, before he says, rise, get up, walk, he says, your sins are forgiven. So this is a house where Jesus is preaching and teaching, and Luke, Luke is thinking here of what happens in church, where you get God's word being preached, the house of God, um, the house of Jesus. There, people who are crippled because with sin and guilt are healed by the word of Jesus. And what's the result of their healing? Is not just they, but the, all the people in the house give glory to God for what they've experienced. The next occasion is uh, uh, doxologies performed by all the people in the village of Nain. Remember, Jesus comes to this little village up there in the north, with his disciples, you get Jesus, the disciples coming this way, and out of the village comes a funeral <coughs> cortege. Um, the only son of a widow is being taken out to be buried. So you get a funeral procession coming out, Jesus is, and his disciples are coming in, and he turns that funeral procession into a victory procession, a celebration, because he gives life to that dead son of that woman. And the result of it is that all the people in Nain give glory to God for the resurrection of that young man. Um, the sixth occasion happens in a synagogue where you have a woman who's utterly crippled like that, has a terrible affliction, whom Jesus frees from this affliction. Um, she's bent double, she can't straighten herself up. Um, Jesus heals her and uh, she's freed from this disabling spirit. This happens in the synagogue by the people there. The next occasion is this story that we had a look at, uh, that's the gospel for today. 
Then leaving this story behind, there's uh, how many more occasions? Three more occasions. The next occasion is when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. There's a crowd of disciples who bring palm branches and put their cloaks before him. Jesus is riding, entering Jerusalem, the holy city, on a donkey. And his disciples then rejoice and praise God. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on in heaven and glory in the highest. So uh, peace on earth now with Jesus coming to Jerusalem with his death. There's going to be peace in heaven and on earth. And the result is glory in the highest, which is glory in heaven, together with the angels. Now comes the last one. Look for the unexpected. Who is the last person who glorifies God? It's the centurion who sees how Jesus dies and realizes that Jesus is a righteous, innocent man and he glorifies God for what? The death of Jesus. Why? Remember, he's, he's a Roman centurion, therefore what is he? He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile, outside the people of God. Um, he glorifies God because God's glory is revealed most fully, paradoxically, strangely, where? On the cross. Uh, so God's glory comes, um, the focus of God's glory, which begins at the birth of Jesus, reaches its culmination uh, with the crucifixion of Jesus. Now what do you make of this list? Uh, Okay, we don't have much time here. Oh, I just want to go, so time for this. Notice here, doxology comes from heaven to earth and then goes back to heaven. Secondly, um, and this is strange, doxology begins with the holy angels and goes first not to the righteous people in Israel, but where does it go? are the unrighteous, the unclean people, the people who are farthest from God. So you get the strange paradox. Um, uh, the, the angels who are closest to God join the people who are furthest from God and they come together. And what, what is it that brings the people who, the angels who are close to God together with the people who are far from God, as far from God as you could possibly go, what is it that brings them together? Jesus, his birth, his teaching, his forgiveness, his healing, and best of all, his death, brings them together. Um, notice then that doxology comes from being focused on God the Father. So uh, uh, normally Jews would expect, uh, they'd have nothing, uh, no problem with us saying glory to God in the highest, uh, but they would have great difficulty with uh, uh, the part of the liturgy just before the gospel reading where we say, glory to you, O Lord. Who's Lord here? Jesus. Why would they be offended by us saying, glory to you, O Lord? Because they don't believe that Jesus is God's Son. Why do we do it? Because we know and believe that Jesus is God's Son. Notice then, so the movement is from 
uh, doing doxology to God the Father, to doing doxology to Jesus the Son. Um, and notice then where it begins and where it ends. So the glory of God is revealed in the human body of Jesus. It begins with the birth of Jesus and it culminates in his death. And everything else in between is the way God makes himself known, the way God reveals himself, discloses himself, shows his glory to human beings here on earth. Now, um, now you can have a, a couple of questions, see if you can work it out. What's so surprising about the doxology of the leper? What's surprising about the fact that the leper sees he's healed, um, instead of going with the others down to Jerusalem, he turns back, falls at the feet of Jesus, doesn't just give thanks to Jesus, that's remarkable enough, but he gives glory. Uh, to God for his healing. What's remarkable about this? Yes? Oh, I'm up. Time's up. Uh, yep, okay. You can work that out yourself. Okay. But no, as you go, for those of who haven't been in the first service, take notice of the three main places where we do doxology. Um, no, it'll be two places because we don't have a doxology after the psalm and work out why we have it there and what the point of it is. Okay, now, what's the main point of doxology? It means that even though we come into God's presence as beggars, that's our status, we've got nothing to give, everything to receive. So, on the one hand, our status is a beggar. On the other hand, we have the same status as who? The angels. And so... Uh, when you come into church this morning, or came into church this morning, um, there were many more creatures, beings in church than the, the people you could see. We are surrounded by angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And they join with us and we join with them in the presence of God the Father to glorify Him. So glory to the Father and the Son, join with me, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, that's in creation, is now and ever will be, world without end. So, amen. Doxology begins in eternity, and it's the one song that will go on forever in heaven. It's the heavenly song, the angelic song. Sorry, I get a catch. <laughs>